RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's Live Bold and Boss Up podcast. We have Dr. Jerry Smith on chatting with you about the scientific proof behind affirmations. Now, we really dive into the science behind it. So there's two parts to Dr. Jerry Smith. The first part is scientific proof behind words of affirmation. And the second part is going beyond that and bettering yourself through dreams at lucid dreaming. So stay tuned. If you hear this week, you're going to want to turn in to next week's. So Dr. Jerry Smith actually started off as a naval officer um, in nuclear engineering and data science and intelligence. He, his career just, you know, obviously took off from there as chief um, technology officer and um, chief data scientist um, and, and intelligence. And, and then of course, getting into um, AI and machine learning. And he has been a part of a lot of different studies and obviously a lot of research. So great information here. We hope you enjoy it. So stay tuned for this week and next week, part one and part two of Dr. Jerry Smith. Enjoy. I am Dr. Jerry Smith. My background is uh, computer sciences. Uh, my specialty is artificial intelligence, cognitive uh, sciences on top of that. I spend a lot of time with the neuroscience field in thinking about how we can make the next generation of uh, computers, um, software more like us in good ways, right? Not in those sort of evil Terminator ways, right? (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think about that, if you think about what makes us so special as human beings, you know, our ability first and foremost to, to care for each other. Right. I mean, that, that's huge, right? You know, we, we started off a long time ago. We were individualistic. We, we grew into, uh, to clans and tribes and pretty soon those tribes were connected through cities. Cities and the average distance between cities was as far as you can go on a horse during a daytime. Um, there's a lot of models about that, but we ended up having a language and that language did one thing, two things really important. One is it shared ideas, right? The second is, is it shared emotions, right? We told stories. We told stories of the big bad wolf. We stored, told stories of the cave, the parable of the cave. And that allowed us to not only have the emotions we felt inside and the emotions that we had with other people, but shared those emotions. So when, when I think about the next generation of, of these systems that we, that we want help with, the key thing that's missing isn't data, right? And now, now you're in my world, isn't intelligence, right? It can, it can compute one plus one faster than you and I can. Um, it's the lack of emotion, right? So what we say is, you know, uh, Real, real intelligence has two components, three if you include culture. But one is it has to be smart IQ. And the second is it has to have emotion EQ. And as my wife reminds me constantly, I need work on that second one a uh-huh. lot. <laughs> so so in the emotional sense, um, 
That's what makes us unique. So I spend a lot of time studying that. In order to study that, that gets into the neuromechanics of the brain, right? Uh, and and that's where we started talking at, at the Synapse Summit um, just about, you know, why we do the things we do. And I, and I heard you talking a little bit about affirmations. And one of the areas that I do spend a lot of time on is is sort of helping people understand one of the principles that I learned about the brain. And that is, how does it learn? Where does it learn? What role does, does saying things like, I am a good person play in our life? And by the way, is me just saying that I'm a good person? Is that the same? Is that the most powerful way to invoke that affirmation? And the answer is no, it's not. There are, there are things that we absolutely have to do in order for our brain to change, which changes our personality, which then changes our behavior, which then sets us on a new path. And that I hope to talk about today. Yeah, and then the mind is a very powerful thing. It is. It's an awesome thing. I mean, um, it, which leads us into sort of a, you know, well, where do you, where do you unravel this? It's like grandma's yarn, right? There are so many right. different threads you can pull on here. I think, you know, let's, let's lay down some terms, right? So when we talk about changing the brain, I, I'm a t I totally believe in therapy. You know, once a week, I, I am the biggest promoter of going and seeing my, my therapist. Why? Uh, because my brain is the way I make money, right? I, I think most people today, most people, I don't mean to say this in a different way. There are two kinds of people, people who make money thinking and solving problems cerebrally and people who use their hands to build things, right? I'm not a builder of things with my hand. I mean, please don't ask me to put up a house. Please don't ask me to grow crops. Please don't ask me to fix your engine, right? I'm just going to mess all that up. I'm a thinker. I think about things. I do things with my head. Um, I speak. I communicate. If my head isn't working, there's no value coming out of me, right? Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time in with, with my therapist every week to clean up my head. How does that work? Well, the biggest term I think anybody who wants to look at this um, world needs to understand is this concept of plasticity, neuroplasticity, right? What is our brain? And, and this is where we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the mechanics and then, um, and then step back. But, you know, we have a brain which is organized around a series of um, neuro cells connected by long highways of, of what things called axions and, and then, and then split off into these dendrites, which at the end of the road, you have a junction, which then feeds into a lot of other garages. Think of those as the axons that compute the stuff. So the brain is a, is a large, um, chemical, uh, electrochemical computer, right? And, and that's really super important. It's composed of 10 to the 12th, Neurons, that's a big number. It's a it's a million billion, I think is the way you think about it. And each of those little processors, those each of those little electrochemical processors are connected to ten thousand other electrochemical processors. That's freaking amazing. That's I mean, you just the, amazing. Just here, just just in that one statement, right? Humans are amazing. Yeah. That is it can be that, that that in and of itself should get you as you're sitting down drinking a glass of wine, a beer, a Tito's, you should just go, you should be in awe of that. And just to think about how every morning you wake up, 
and it still works, right? Just think about that. Every night when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning, you don't wake up going, who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? How do I breathe? You know, how do things move around? This you neuro- yeah, you, you know everything. Yeah, this neural system we have, right? That goes from here all the way down to your toes, right? Composed of the brain, the nervous system. Neurons aren't just up in here. It's all throughout our body. Matter of fact, a little side uh, bar here. We often hear the term, you know, I have butterflies in my stomach. I got this gut feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, women are really good at this. They have specialized neurons in those those areas that that tend to make them feel a certain way, nauseous in a certain way over certain events. That's actually a neurological response that starts in the brain. Anyways, so what? So how does your brain? grow. Why are we talking about that? Because affirmations, right? So let's, let's first think about a little bit about that neuroplasticity. And I think everybody will get it at the, at the end of this. So neuroplasticity is the ability of that huge electrochemical computer, you know, up, up on your shoulders to change over time. Right. And what happens, those potassium chloride levels between the synapses, it's just a little chemical challenge channel. That's all it is. By the way, that's why when you get a concussion, why does the world go crazy when you get a concussion? It's like dropping your computer, all those fluids, all those potassium chloride solutions that, that exist between this little tiny gap in these neurons get shifted around and your world goes blank. So how does that change? Well, it's a, there's a, there's a process. There's basically three kinds of chemicals that we look at in the brain. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the of brain to change. A lot of people think, and I, now, by the way, a lot of, I'm going to point out to, to you and your audience that my, my wife finally says, I know what's wrong with you. And I said, what's wrong with me? And she says, she says, and I should actually turn off my phone when I'm talking to folks <laughs> like this. I apologize. Um, my, my wife says, I'm like that cat with the red laser dot on the floor. Once it sees a problem, it starts chasing it around like crazy. Right. So I apologize ahead of time if I get over excited about some of this stuff. But it is it is kind of fun and amazing. And and it's like once you get your hand, head around certain aspects of it. It actually should change your life. And until you get your hands around that, it can be feel really crazy and confusing. And, and, and so in that space, I try to get as much information out at once to sort of have a legitimate sort of uh, cr- constructive conversation in there. So big things I wanted to get out. First of all, is the brain is complex. The second of all is for it to learn. It has to be it has to be plastic, what we call neuroplasticity. That is, it changes those pieces in there. Now, here's something that people often that don't really know. And I think we talked about this. Well, when do people learn? Right. You wake up in the morning. We're having a conversation. I introduce you to the term neuroplasticity. I introduce you to the term, you know, um, uh, neurons and axons and dendrites and stuff like that. Did you learn that right now? And the answer is no. We actually don't learn during our waking period. And there's the first clue when it comes to how do we make effective affirmations. I wake up in the morning. I grab my cup of coffee, my good caffeine stimulus, which is important, by the way. It's an important part of our day. At some point, we should talk about the um, the 
two primary kind of cycles. Here's that. I'm going to have a sip of my coffee. I'm on. I think I'm on (laughs) 18 now. I'm 18. Um, So, you know, we have two primary cycles during the daytime. It's really important in that first part of the morning, that first 90 minute ultradarian cycle. You know, we have we have our normal 24 hour cycle, but in the day we have these 90 minute cycles that our body uh, is tuned to that first 90 minute cycle. If your body allows you to have stimulants like caffeine, it's important because it blocks these two neuroreceptors, which cause us to be sleepy. That's a whole different subject. But in the course of, of affirmations, when I say I am a good person. Did my body learn anything from that? Or was it just words that came out here, went around, went back into my ears and bounced around and 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 channeled with my with my linguistic processing systems? Did it just do that? Well, the answer is I didn't learn anything from that. And that's because learning takes place at night. Takes place during the uh, what we what we call REM period, our deep sleep period. Right. We have two periods of sleep at night when you go to bed. The very first part of your sleep is a slow wave sleep, right? It's typically in your delta waves uh, area. So you're, you're sleeping, you're turning over, you're just now getting into sleep and you get the slow wave sleep. But it's in that REM period when your brain does something very, very special. It cleans up stuff. And this leads us into another part of the conversation. I mentioned the brain is a electrochemical computer, right? We're familiar with the electrical part of it, but what are the chemicals there? And we call those neuromodulators, right? So the brain learns that big organic uh, computer on top of your head, its neuroplasticity is modulated in adults, what we call modulated, changed in adults by by what we call neuromodulators. And these neuromodulators, we have have four, which are really important. And you've heard of some of them, like dopamine, right? Dopamine's a really important neuromodulator. It's released anytime you sort of achieve a milestone. People often say, oh, dopamine, that's the uh, chemical of addiction. Well, no, addiction is associated with milestones, which is filling your body back up with chemicals and getting you high. But dopamine is really released anytime you achieve a goal. Goal can be achieving an affirmation in life. We also have serotonin, which is a, a module that uh, is a neuromodulator that tends to make us feel good when, with what we have. It's super important. Then we have, uh, I'm going to hold off on this one. Then we have epinephrine, which is the uh, uh, neuromodulator of tension, right? It's typically associated when we feel alert and agitated. The last one, acetylcholine, super important. So, when I, when an individual gets excited, stuff comes into our brain, there's an emotional connection to it. Acetylcholine is released into the system and paints those neurons in your brain that says to our, our, our computer up here, this was important, right? I'm, I'm looking at my camera right now. Not important. I'm thinking about how important, um, uh, I achieved this one goal. I, 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 I ran, I ran eight miles in the shortest time I ever had. I finished the, I finished the run. I went, Oh, how excited was I? That emotion coupled with the event itself was painted by acetylcholine. And why is that important? Because when you go to bed at night, you make it through that slow wave sleep into that really deep REM sleep. That acetylcholine then changes the strength of that of those neurons that were associated with that events event. So the next time I think about running, 
I have this emotional dopamine dump that's easy, that's associated with the pleasures in life that come more naturally. So one of the key things with affirmations is just not saying them. What do we have to do? We have to associate them with some, some emotions, right? Vi strong visualization, just not visualization. I'm a good person that does nothing. I think about myself. I am a good person. How was I a good person? Oh, you know what? I remember helping that little old lady across the street. Remember how that made you feel? I'm a good person. Guess what? That got painted. I can just feel it in my body. That got painted tonight when I go to sleep. That little piece is going to paint in there that I'm a good person. It's going to be associated with that positive feeling, that visualization of that grandma. I remember taking her bag, going across it. That happened when I was a teenager you know, just a mere 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys got that. That's a little scary on top of that. That's not supposed to be a joke. Uh, but, you know, so the first thing is, what is it? And by the way, it's about you. It's a strong visualization. So I see it. And then most importantly, I feel it. And what, what, where does those things take place? Right. So now we think about the structure of the brain. You know, we think about our amygdala. We think about our basal ganglia. We think about our lateral cortex. And then we think about this thing called the orbital frontal cortex. It's right. It's the frontal cortex is here. Decision making right underneath it, right in here is the um, or, or orbital frontal cortex, which is associated with mixing emotions with events. So when you mix that emotion, oh, how did that feel with this affirmation, this executive function about thinking about I am a good person that then gets painted into your system so that at night when you go to sleep, which is a separate event that we have to do. And, and that's why, by the way, sleep is so important. Good sleep is important, but most important, consistent sleep. So whether or not you're you're sleeping four hours a night, it's that's not the issue. The issue is you don't want to sleep four hours one night, five hours the next night, three hours the night after that. You want four hours every night, five hours every night, whatever it is. But you need that consistent, repetitive sleep so that REM period in your in your brain can identify that acetylcholine painted uh, uh, constructs and then change your brain um, in form of neuroplasticity, which then causes us to learn so that the next time we're in a situation where I'm thinking... I am, and I feel that kind of emotion, a good person. It changed my body. Mm -hmm. That's the mechanics of all, of all this stuff sort of around the world. For you around sleep, because I feel like so many people have issues with sleep. So they're not getting that learning or those, you know, what you need in order to really learn and absorb what you did that day. So what do you do in order to get good yeah. Room sleep, deep sleep. Is there certain like steps that you take prior to going to bed? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and everybody's different, but there's some things that we do know. So you think about your circadian rhythm, right? 24 hour day period. And I mentioned that you have so a couple couple fun words, circadian rhythm. I think people know that they're familiar that at in the morning, they're somehow awake and at night, somehow they get tired. And somehow we most people tend to want to fall asleep at night. And most people want to stay awake in the daytime. Now, that's, that's not true for everybody. And certainly it's counterproductive for people who are night workers. Right. But for the most part, we have that within that 20 within that 24 hour cycle, we have these little 90 minute cycles that span through the day and they're ultra Darian cycles. It's super important. Right. Everybody has these 90 minute cycles. They start from the first time you wake up 
And by the way, one of the first things you need to do in order to get a good night's sleep, you have to wake up in the right way. That's where your good night's sleep starts. Your good night's sleep doesn't start by putting your head on a pillow. It starts by waking up correctly. So, and and the way we wake up correctly, (laughs) the way we wake up correctly isn't on our face, you know, after having a binge night of drinking. Obviously, that's counterproductive. I'll just say a little thing. I I neither am a a believer. I I don't have any opinions on on you your use, anybody's use of drugs or alcohol. But when it comes to um, helping your neurological functions, they play no role and they're counterproductive to a healthy mental life cycle. Now, I do like I drink? Of course I drink. But do I drink in order to have a better cognitive life? Absolutely not. Right. Um, I, so that's a key thing. So in the morning, what do you do? As soon as you wake up in the morning, the most important thing for you to do is to open those eyes and look at that, not look into the sun. Please don't do that. But to get those those warm rays, those red and blue rays coming in, we have special cells in the eyes that pick up those rays and they start the 24 hour, restart the 24 hour clock. It tells it physically tells your body you are awake. There are certain things you need to do. There are certain chemicals that are, that are melatonin, for example, that are now re- being reduced in your body. Melatonin keeps you, allows you to relax and sleep at night. So it is now being shut off. At the same time, it starts a chemical clock, which builds up through the day. That chemical clock impacts these, what we call the D1, D2 receptors in the brain, which actually make you sleepy and tired. So what, how do we, how do we feel alert in the morning? What are the, what is the one way you just showed me that you feel alert in the morning? Coffee. Coffee. And what's in coffee? Caffeine. Caffeine. Caffeine blocks those two receptors. So in the morning you get up, you see that beautiful sky, you get artificial lights, you get that warmth of, of those blue, red rays coming in your body, your body triggers. It says it's time to start doing the things I need to do. You, you then block the, if you can take caffeine, not everybody can take caffeine, right? So check out with your doctors on that little, um, little subtext there. But if you can, you know, having that, that caffeine, I'm not talking about loading it up with saccharin. I'm not talking about loading it up with, uh, with, uh, with creams and creamer. I'm talking about a good cup of Joe, um, that, that will get into your system, will paint those two cell, uh, those D1, D2 receptors, which then allows your brain to actually become alert. And you do that on no food. If you can get by with that, right? Cause food actually has a, it has a process that, that actually, um, pulls energy from your body and makes you tired. So you wake up, you get the sun, you take the coffee, do a little physical exercise, that's the way you start your day for the first 90 minutes. After 90 minutes, breakfast is fine. You know, thinking about what you're eating in life, are you going to eat the carbohydrates in life, which tend to uh, slow you down, or are you can eat proteins, which tend to spike you up. Most people would, would probably say proteins like with, uh, with eggs and stuff like that. So getting those proteins in your systems, those little energy pills into your system to um, generate the kind of energy you need is an important part of the morning. One thing I wanted to point out was without that right sleep, not only do we not get the rim, which we haven't even talked about, but also your brain kind of swells during the daytime. So in the morning, you are in the best shape possible. Get the sun, get the caffeine, a little protein in our system. Our body is set for the day. Throughout the day, that brain, that brain expands just a little bit. It actually reduces your effectiveness so that 
the first seven to eight hours of your day are your most productive, right? And for some people, the creative stuff occurs during that first uh, ultra Darian cycle, that first 90 minute cycle. For me, that's when it occurs. I know other people that it occurs somewhere around the second or third cycle of the day, but you really have to think about it. You know, when are you two the most productive? You got to think about it. And everybody's different. When are you too productive? Are you, are you late day productive, early day? Early day. I mean, if it's late day, it has to be extremely late. Like, six o'clock, then I could get like a second wind. But second wind. We're going to get to the second wind. Oh, that's okay. so important. That's, that's your like second it. cycle. Yeah. That's your okay. second cycle. All right. So we got that early sun. We got all the stuff we're doing. We're doing our work. Um, key thing is any exercise that you're doing is occurring during this first seven hour period because your body is geared towards that. It's, it's just the way we're DNA. So now it's like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, normal cycle. And we're tired, right? All those chemicals in our body have been consumed and stuff like that. This is a period of time. Again, we're talking about how do you get a good night's sleep? And this is all leading up to it. A lot of people go, well, I'll take medication to that. That isn't a good night's sleep. That just puts you to sleep. So that second hour, two or three o'clock in the afternoon, you're tired. This is a really good time to meditate. And this is a period of what we call um, deep rest, non-sleep deep rest, non-sleep. Some people take naps. That's actually sleeping. But the best thing to do is to do a deep rest. Get that vertical orientation. Relax your body. Get into that sleep position. By the way, when I do this and I meditate, I usually sleep. I set my alarm for 30 minutes and I wake up. Very rarely do I make it through a deep rest, non-sleep period without the non-sleep not occurring. But you're laying there, you're doing your meditations, you're just clearing your mind. And that's a separate conversation. But focusing, I love monk uh, uh, Danta Ponte, who taught me how to focus. Because one of the things that with that in life that a lot of us aren't taught is how do you focus? Right? I mean, he has this wonderful series that he talks about. um, As as parents, we often tell our kids or as kids, we often hear our parents say, hey, Jerry, focus on your work. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever taught me how to focus. Right. They just said, focus on it. Focus on your schoolwork. Focus yeah. on the yard work. Right. Did right. you go to class for focus? Did your yeah. parents actually yeah. sit down yeah. and teach? Yeah. So so we're, 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 we're punished for not having this ability in life. And yet it's so important. And Don Dapani brilliant monk, software engineer, converted to monk. He's a Ted talker. You can look him up out there. And and he has a whole series on focusing where he talks about, um, and every time I focus, my eyes close automatically, or as I say, automatically, is you're focusing on the white light and you're moving that around to key concepts. And he talks about that. So I use that technique during my deep rest, non-sleep period. And I'm focusing on, on a issue, which brings my all my physiological responses down. I think about that issue 30 minutes later, my brain has stabilized and it's now ready for the second part of the day. You typically another uh, five to six hours. And that's where we talk about getting our second wind. So out of that period now, now this is the difference between the second period and the first period. First period, we start off with lots of light. The second period now, we're reducing that light, right? It doesn't mean we're shutting off the lights in our house and we're becoming, you know, you know, monks in the basement kind of thing. But what it means is we're going to reduce our physical activity. We're going to reduce the amount of lights we're getting 
from this, from these guys up in here, from yeah. out there, right? It's natural. The sun's going down. We're going to start to reduce it. doesn't mean to, to make it zero. It just means naturally over time, we're reducing it so that six or seven o'clock, we're getting less lights, un artificial lights. We're getting less outdoor lights. Why? Because the body's not now going, ah, I know what you want to do. It's time to hibernate. It's time to go to sleep. And so that seven or eight o'clock period, which is the most important, is getting away from the electronics, right? Um, yeah, I'm probably the worst person in the world. I'm one of those uh, overweight doctors that sits next to your bed and, you know, smoking the cigarettes saying, hey, girls, man, you got to get healthy in life, right? I'm one of those when it comes to this. But having a TV set in your bedroom, mm -hmm. if you want to get a good night's sleep, it's very, very bad thing. So one of the things you got to turn off is all those electronics. Like uh, external stimulants that that we have, mm -hmm. and then from eight to uh, <laughs> eight, eight to ten, nine o'clock, eight to nine o'clock, you're in this position where your brain is calmed down, and now it's ready for a good night's sleep. Right in that in that nine o'clock to ten o'clock period. By the way, you'll know if you've got a good night's sleep. Um, just measure it over a week or so. If you wake up to your alarm, you've gotten, you didn't get enough sleep. And what you do is you go to sleep earlier. You never, you never try to sleep later. What you do is you say, okay, like for example, I'm a five o'clock wake up guy every day, five o'clock. I know at five o'clock, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my 90 minute cycle. Get the There's no light externally. It's still dark. I have artificial lights. I let those lights bathe me. Pop that caffeine in, do a little bit of push-ups and stuff, get the blood going. My brain is ready for my innovation cycle. So if I wake up at five minutes to five, I know that the previous night I went to bed at the right time. If I wake up because my alarm's going off, I am fatiguing myself somehow. So that, that night I'm going to bed 15 minutes earlier. What time do you normally wake up the Say again? What time do you normally go to bed? So I normally, I, I am normally asleep at nine o'clock. Wow. Nine o'clock at night. So that's not happening over here. <laughs> we, if you, okay. So here's the I thing. Wake up at five. That's cool. <laughs> if, if you wake up at seven, that's a different story. Now I'm not saying waking up at five is like the best thing to do. And waking up at seven is wrong. What I'm saying for me, I like the quiet comfort that yeah. exists between five and seven. Right. Nothing in the world is going on around my neighborhood, right? I mean, you can, it's like, it's like a zombie apocalypse movie here. There's nothing. There's no walking dead. It's, it, I am not disturbed. I get for that two hours, I get four hours of productivity. So for me, it's awesome. For other people, maybe not. So for me, I'm asleep at nine. Got it. Thanks, Jerry. And hopefully you guys can take some of this information and put it to great use. That's the end of our part one session with Dr. Jerry Smith. Hope you guys tune in next week for part two. We're diving into lucid dreaming, super excited about it. Until then guys, live bold and boss up. This is a Rock Stops here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. All right, back from Indianapolis, back from the NFL Combine. What an experience. What an experience being in downtown Indy. 
Let me get to my guest, and then I'll tell you some of the behind-the-scenes stories. And I also got a one that's going to blow your mind, especially if you live in Florida or you have lived in Florida. But let me welcome in my guest. He really has made it to the top. I'm talking about Chris Sims, the former NFL quarterback, the University of Texas Longhorns, the New Jersey native, the son of Phil Sims. This is mostly on life after football, although I had to ask him, about that day at Raymond James Stadium when he was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. And, oh, my God, his, he got hit. It was his spleen. There was internal bleeding, and he almost didn't make it. And I had to ask about that. Still, like, the, you know, you have those, like, probably four or five days in your life, right, where you think about, like, man, that changed my life forever. It, it can almost get me emotional. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I mean, I was the, they came into the room and told my wife to say bye to me because they weren't sure. Right. They weren't sure. It was 50 50. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm proud of it to a degree. Uh, of course I wish it didn't happen. Right. Um, but you know, maybe I, you know, sometimes I, I'm a self-evaluator. I look at it too and go, man, there was things in my life at that time that I wasn't living the right way either. And maybe that was karma kind of saying, Hey, you better slow your freaking roll down here a little bit. Uh, so maybe I deserved it. I get that. We all get challenges in life, right? You got to take them as they come and, and fight through it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I have way too many things to be happy that I've been blessed with. I mean, I, come on. I grew up being the son of Phil Sims and all that. So I'm very grateful for it. It, it hurts me as I get emotional here again. It's just that I love Tampa. I love playing for him. So that hurt. The Rock stops here with longtime radio and TV personality. Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and radioinfluence.com.